Asante sana Pastor Jade. Naona kuna picha pale. Hey, by the way, Devi. Ah, yes. Kuna picha moja. This was um, this was uh, Edgar's 50th birthday celebration. Na ilikuwa full of swag. So, ah, ungewaona oje? Hey, so we said this one we have to show. So we thank God for his mercies for you and for the opportunity to celebrate our lives one with another. We're in the same DG and that's the sort of things we do, eh? So ukiwa DG, ukiwa birthday yako, invite watu, make it swagishias as possible, eh? Yeah. So I'm, I'm again to God for the opportunity to be here before you for this kind of heavy topic, eh? You know, the thing about, we've been talking about, if you're visiting us, uh, we've been talking about a series called The X Factor, Superpower Your Life. And we have said that the X Factor is the Holy Spirit who is available for every believer. Indeed, every believer needs the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And we have said that... Um, the, we, last week we talked about the two experiences, major experiences that the Holy Spirit has in our life. And the first one we talked about, we call it the Resurrection Sunday, which is what is the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us life, the new life, getting us born again. We receive him, he indwells us. And then we also talked about the subsequent experience of Pentecost that comes after that where we receive the Holy Spirit in a baptism that leads us to unleash God's power in our lives. And so today I'll be going into that, a little bit more of that. And I know that the topic of the Holy Spirit can be, what to, in fact, let me say this. It looks like the devil has succeeded so much in creating fear or confusion or even a state of, eh, when you hear anything to do with the Holy Spirit, our response is usually fear or even outright resistance. And so today I hope that we're going to be able to demystify this together. And today I'd like us to talk about that experience of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that Pentecost Sunday experience, and we'll give an opportunity for as many as of us who would like to experience that Holy Spirit work today to do so. Amen? So, hold on to your seat. Eh? Uh, let me say also that we have intended to have a water baptism. You know, every believer, you know, Jesus says, eh, eh, I'm baptizing, right? And anyone who's born again should be baptized in water. Yeah? Remember that story? I'm so glad we've read through Acts because there's a lot of Acts that we'll be talking about here. Eh? The story of the centurion, not the centurion, the Ethiopian uh, official going on his chariot or horse or carriage and uh, Philip comes along, hears him reading aloud the scriptures. In fact, something about the scriptures reading aloud, eh? it was a habit in the past and maybe we should get, try one day, to to Biblia, read it aloud. There's something that will happen up that is a good experience. Eh? There's something about hearing you say those scriptures that connects in a certain way. Anyway, so he was doing that, and then he says, after he's explained to, gives his life and said, here is water, why not be baptized? And so he's baptized immediately. 
And so, as long as you're born again, and you understand that you've been, had the resurrection Sunday experience, you've crossed over from death to life, you're baptized as a way of expressing the very thing that has happened into you. And it's something that Jesus has asked us to do. So if you're here, you're born again, never been baptized in water, we'd like you to register um, with Toma. I don't know, we've not made the plans, but please register with Toma. Let me even say as long as anyone, child, teenager, adult, as long as you're born again, we're going to spend some time on the 10th of September, two Sundays from now, to just uh, have a baptism service after our normal service. Let's look forward to that um, because God does things uh, through that as well. So let me start by giving a quick overview of some things we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's so much. Um, I wish we had sort of structured things in a way to deliver each of this because each of them can be uh, a topic on their own. But the first thing we need to understand is that the Holy Spirit he is God. We talk about God in three persons, don't we? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we somehow always feel like the Holy Spirit become any third, third what? Third rate, eh? KYM. KYM. We kind of, it's like a force. We forget he's God. And if you look at various scriptures, um, he was there from the beginning. Remember? Uh, in fact, Everything that happens in our life is a work of the Trinity. God, the Father, speaks the word. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the water, and therefore things are created. Okay? Again, God from the beginning. He is God. Hebrews 9.14 calls him the eternal God. The eternal God. And he's also omnipresent. In Psalm 139, David, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, where can I go? to hide from you, Spirit of God. So he's omnipresent and he exhibits those powers as well. And therefore you can actually say, and I want you to do that this morning because you'll feel a bit strange because we never do that. We say we worship you, God, right? But try and say, I worship you, Holy Spirit. Come on. Say it to them. I exalt you, Holy Spirit. I worship you as God. I bow down before you. You know, the same things you say to God, you can actually say to the Holy Spirit, eh? And I don't know if that felt a bit strange, because even when I think about it, it's like, yeah, you know, you know we really don't do that. Eh? We just ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, to guide us, but we never say, Holy Spirit, we worship you. And so he is God. That's number one. Yeah? Then the, other two, the second thing is that the Holy Spirit's work and the role of the work of the Holy Spirit is that he convicts us of sin. It says that in John 16. In other words, he shows us where our sin is, not to make us guilty, but who cause us to lead us to repentance. And therefore, there is no way we can come to the point of being born again. As we said last week, remember? We said that last week, it is not possible for you to be born again unless you have the work of the Holy Spirit. So he is the one who comes into our lives and creates the new life, translating us from death to the uh, kingdom of the Son of God. He is the one who does that. We cannot be born again without him. And then we also know that he continues to bear witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And so he's the one who walks with us. He's called the comforter. He's called the guide. Those are things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He helps us in our work as believers. He's an, he's a, he's a, he's an encourager. 
In fact, here's something you need to note. The Holy Spirit never discourages you. If something comes in your life and it's causing discouragement or making you to feel guilty or not, that is not the Holy Spirit because he is our encourager and our comforter. Amen? Then there's something we call the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we've talked about he is God, his work in, 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 our, in, in our lives and as we see them in scriptures is to lead us into all truth, to guide us and all that. But then we also have what we call the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there are the different kinds of, of gifts, uh, but the same Spirit distributes them. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 4 to 11 uh, says. If you go to that scripture, okay, thank you for putting it up, you will see that it says that. And there are different kinds of working, but all of them, in everyone, uh, but there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And so he, the, he, then the, the scripture goes on to list various kinds of gifts of the Holy Spirit, eh? manifestations of the Spirit, for the, and they're all for the common good. And they, you know, this is a list that you've had. The Spirit gives us a message of wisdom, um, the word of knowledge, um, the faith, uh, gifts of healing. There are also miraculous powers. There is another one to give prophecy. There is a distinguishing between spirits. There is speaking in tongues. And another one, interpretation of tongues. So all these are gifts of the Spirit that he enables us to do extraordinary things by them. Eh? And it says in verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Okay, so it's a gift. His gifts that he gives, he, they're distributed as who determines? God determines. Okay? And so the thing to note here is that they're given to each person as God determines. And they're meant for common good. They're meant to edify the church. They're meant to cause us to um, be in unity and to serve everyone. The thing with them is that with the gift of the Holy Spirit, gift, you're given a gift. It's an immediate transaction. It happens there and then. The thing about the gift of the Holy Spirit is also not dependent on anything I do. So we tend normally to be taken in. And we take that to be maturity in the faith. And it's, it's not. You can be a young believer and the, the, the Holy Spirit gives you this gift as he determines. And unfortunately though, those are the things that people follow after. We tend to follow, not these people, <laughs> but we tend to follow miracles and such things. And so the moment somebody starts doing some things, everyone flocks to that place and not understanding that this is really gifting of the Holy Spirit that is not dependent on you know, the maturity of the person. But here's the thing about the gifts. We can desire the gifts. We can desire and even ask for the gifts of the Spirit. But it's still dependent on the Holy Spirit. We can ask and desire, and we can fail to get what we ask for, because it is the Holy Spirit who determines who he will give what. Okay? And so if we're trying to desire certain things and saying, God, give me this gift, I want to be a worker of miracles, but it doesn't do that to you, then it's sin to get offended it's his discretion to give the gifting of the Holy Spirit. 
then we have what we call the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, uh, if you read, you know, Galatians 2, 22, 23, in fact, I didn't put it up because I thought we all know it, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. self-control, <laughs> There's gentleness and then self-control. Now, this fruit of the Holy Spirit, notice the word, it's not fruits, it's fruit. And fruit here, really the meaning of it is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I can say the fruit of your labor. Eh? The result of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is those um, virtues. Eh? And so this happened as, as we yield to him, as we honor him, as we give our bodies, as our bodies are renewed, Romans 12 too, you know, by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to attest what's good and pleasing and perfect will of God. As we change the way we think, it's through the experiences of trials and testing, as we've talked here before. We've said that suffering helps us and builds character and so on, and the perseverance and things like that. So it's really the work, all that the work of the Holy Spirit does in your lives ultimately is to result in a change in character. It's causing us to be more Christ-like. So, unlike the gifts which are given, fruit is a slow process. It's almost like though you have fruit. Eh? Before you get fruit, kunakazi, isn't you? And so all that, all that cooperation and working with the Holy Spirit, developing various aspects and coming to the point of demonstrating this thing in our character and is who we are, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's a critical thing that the work of the Holy Spirit is about. He wants us to be more Christ-like. And so if there's anything that we desire more than anything else, it's to grow as believers and demonstrate the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The result of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is those things that we have listed there. Ikosawa, so we've talked about him being God, We've also said he has a role to play. We have said he gives gifts as he determines. We can desire, but and then the result of his work in our life is growth, Christ-likeness, and that takes time. Right? So finally, we come again to what we talked last time, and this is a Pentecost experience. We called it um, the baptism of the, in the Holy Spirit or being filled by the Holy Spirit. And like we said last time, it's an experience that is subsequent to being born again. You cannot be filled by the Holy Spirit if you are not born again. The first experience, as Jesus said, okay, you've been filled, wait for this experience. And so you must be born again. I think we spoke about that last Sunday, right? When you're talking about the Resurrection Sunday and the Pentecost Sunday, that was clear. The, the second thing is that but the purpose of the, of, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the infilling of the Holy Spirit is as Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And by the way, Acts 1, 8, you know the one of last words? These are the last words recorded that Jesus spoke before he ascended to heaven. Okay? A man's last words are said to be critical. See, but he says this, you will receive power. He told them to tarry and wait. But he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so for this we can see that the primary purpose of this in feeling is to receive supernatural from God, power from God, so that we become his witnesses. And you can see what happens in Acts. In fact, Acts chapter 2 happens, and the rest of it is full of drama. In fact, if you try and take the book of Acts from chapter 1 to chapter is it 28, and try and remove things that were done through the work of the Holy Spirit, you will end up with nothing, almost. Because eh? in every chapter, there's something. Every chapter, there's something that's happening, that's causing drama. And it's such that it gets to the point where the religious leaders are unsettled. And we see the Sanhedrin calling Peter and John, why are you, you know, causing a leper to walk and bringing chaos in the whole town? We see that in chapter 4. We see political leaders as well getting unsettled. We see Paul before, you know, senior Roman officials right through the end of the chapter of, 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 of Acts. We see business leaders in a town, was it Ephesus? where, you know, Paul casts out a, a demon out of a, a girl, and the whole, in fact, Ukenzakusoma at some point, every place they go, uproar. Okay, let's go to the next town. Uproar. Let's go to the next town. Stoning. I mean, it's just action after action after action. Even from communities. We also see them resolving critical issues. You know, Acts 15, they have an issue about Gentile believers, Jewish believers, should they follow this and should they follow that? And we see the wisdom of the Holy Spirit coming through James who says, okay, let's just ask this for purposes of... And that, the result is what? Is joy. All right? Everybody gets the issues resolved. And so over and over again, we see clear demonstrations of the X factor, as we call it, of the Holy Spirit. Their lives demonstrate the presence of the Holy Spirit working powerfully through them and doing things that are humanly impossible. In fact, I've been wondering whether we are a New Testament church. The book of Acts is the only book that explains the kind of lifestyle and things that were going on after, you know, the, the Holy Spirit um, was received at Pentecost. You know, other books will be maybe saying stories and so on, but Acts is where we are told, and this happened, this happened, and so on. And it looks like the template for... Christian living for his ministry. Well, look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3 to 4 that talks about this great salvation that we have received and just how, in every instant, God gives it with demonstration of signs and wonders. Listen to this. How shall we escape? This is chapter 2 and verse 3 of uh, Hebrews. Eh? How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And so the message of the gospel needs to go with a demonstration of that supernatural power that you're talking about. 
hiki tunafanya hivi lakini hatuwezi tuka demonstrate ndio it's like you're selling something business people and you're saying it can do like this but you never get to show that it does that and that's why the holy spirit is poured on us to do that and so it's not just i think we've tended to have very nice intellectual messages with logic and all that which is good because the message is logical the message makes sense in both natural and spiritual senses but there is a need to have it accompanied or rather the role of the feeling of the holy spirit is to enable us to accompany that message with with um with with demonstration and so because uh witness is the assignment of every believer then this power is a promise to every believer you know i i i sometimes feel the reputation of my pastors you I mean, just the reputation of pastors in your society. You know, uh, like recently, uh, I'm doing a, a consulting job for an upcoming. Um, it's the first time I'm venturing out of the NGO sector into something that is. It's actually going to be one of the leading hotels about to be launched, and I was having a session the other week, and I wanted it recorded for some reason. So I asked Davy. Agadi and Andrew to come with me and do the recording. Alafu kabla tufike, I just thought about eh hey, now jamaa. So I told Devi and Gadi by the way tukifika huko msiniite pasta. Yeah, and I explained. <laughs> Because it's the way pastors are perceived, eh? Pastor Benson. Guys will wonder what's that? Who is this? So imagine Edgar in one of your board meetings and then you say this guy is a pastor who's going to be leading us through some strategy and so on. So you agree with me. <laughs> But I was like, yeah, for now because we are just starting off, we don't want kuena tatizo ya reputation hapa tutongee hizi vitu baadaye. Sasa leo muona kazi. Yeah. But that's the thing because sometimes we'll go into some places and we don't get attention uh, because of the kind of way we are perceived. Eh? But if you go to a place, for instance, because Jesus says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. I mean, if you went to a place and raise the dead, see, people will sit up and listen to you. Yeah? So it's the same thing. You can't be going here in South B and South C, you can be, you know, the Muslims that it is, and then unapiga two story in a logic but if you raise the dead they will come and ask and i think that's the role that the holy spirit has and this experience is for us to be able to do these things to make people sit up and, and so that we are a witness of this power the other thing i want to highlight is that jesus so we've said that the purpose It's a subsequent experience to be born again. The purpose is for us to demonstrate the power and give witness to the message. The third thing I want to say about it is that Jesus is the baptizer. Jesus is the baptizer. Now you'll notice all the four gospels. And when you see something in all the four gospels, well, well, not quite because kunavitu sasemwa in one place but they're still profound. Eh? But the insistence of it across the gospels is major and you'll see that in all the four gospels 
it, quote, it quotes John the Baptist, who says, in, and this is Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, there's Luke chapter 3 and verse 16, there's John 1 to 29, 29 to 33, where he says, Behold the Lamb of God who's come. And then he goes on to say, I have baptized you. Actually, let's look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, 7 to 8. This is where then John the Baptist announced, and he says, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the what? With the Holy Spirit. And that is said in all the four Gospels. Baptize. And Jesus says himself, you wait, I'm going, but you will be. Don't go until you're baptized. And so that is something that we need to recognize, that it is Jesus who is a baptizer. It's important to know that, that we come to Jesus to ask him to baptize us. It's not a person, it's not anything else, it's really, that's the set way to do it. Right? Another thing we need to know is that there's two ways this baptism is administered in the, uh, in the scriptures. And one of them is from above. In Acts chapter 2, again, uh, on the day of Pentecost, it says what? Spirit came down with a, with a sound of a mighty rushing wind and there were tongues that were split as though they were fire and then each of them was filled and begin, began to speak in other languages. Okay? So it came from above. There's a direct baptism in a sense from, the, uh, from above. And also in Cornelius, uh, sorry in Cornelius, the story of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 when Paul went, uh, not Paul, Peter went with other brothers and they went and they shared the gospel. It says what? The Holy Spirit fell on them and they spoke in tongues. Eh? And I think if you're a Berean, if you look at that, I don't know if they had it ready, but if you look at uh, just before that, because it appears as though the Holy Spirit just fell on them. Eh? But you look, it's at the point where Peter was telling them that you need to be born again. right? And he's telling them, you have to be born again. That's why we came. And as I was doing that, I believe, because it goes on to say that happened as we were going on, the people believed that, and because of having received that experience of salvation, then the Holy Spirit fell upon them from above. Really nothing, no one. It's just perhaps their desire and their longing and their waiting. The Holy Spirit falls from above. The other one is through the laying on of hands. So it's from above, but also through the laying on of hands. And you'll see this in Ephesians, sorry, in Acts chapter 8. So from verse 14, again it's a story of um, Philip going into Samaria when he then prays to the people and they believe, baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we shared that last week, isn't it? The resurrection life. And then Peter and John follow later and ask them about the Holy Spirit. And they say, no, uh, we haven't had that experience. And so what do they do? Peter and John in verse 44, uh, uh, sorry, 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 in verse uh, 17, in verse 17, they lay their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay? Remember we said from chapter 2, whenever you see they received the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the Pentecost experience. That was in Samaria. Then in Acts chapter 9, 
This is actually one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's about Ananias. And God, you know, if you read that conversation, you think they were sitting with God at a table and discussing. But it's God, so God calls Ananias, go to express address, eh? go to the straight street on this street, on the house of so-and-so, you will meet a man called Saul from Tatars. This man has been praying and asking, you know, detail, Kabisa. And then what does Ananias say? Hey, but God, see, this is a guy who's been persecuting people around and you're telling me to go and pray for him. He's like, no, now that guy is my chosen vessel. He's the one I've appointed to go and speak to the Jews and the Gentiles and he will know how much he will suffer for me. So Ananias goes off and I end up on straight street and I end up on You come and Joseph has or someone knocks and asks for Saul and he goes in and he says in verse 17, Ananias went to the house, entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared on you on the road when you're coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul received his experience by the laying on of hands. By who? By Ananias. All right? The third uh, example of where it happens by the laying on of hands is Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, you remember it's again Ephesus. Paul uh, goes to them and asks them, hey, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we do what? We pray for you to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 6 of uh, Acts chapter 19, it says that Paul laid his hands on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So we have those two ways. There's the from above, direct, and then there's the receiving of the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands as seen in those experiences, the last of which we've shared is Acts 19 and verse 6. Right? So now let me get into... Hey, okay, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you're coming. It's been quite a bit of a, uh, an intense week for me as I've tried to prepare uh, this because I've been trying to be as clear as possible in my understanding and understanding of the scriptures. And I encourage you, we are talking of many scriptures, go read them again after this and look at them in the light of what I'm saying. Then the final thing I want to talk about is the speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues. Now, I believe strongly that the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is evidenced by a speaking in tongues. And this is because it's what the apostles accepted as the evidence. You see the, in Acts chapter 10 again, it was a very contentious issue for Peter to go into a Gentile's house. That was, what do you call it? Uh, anathema. It was really, ma, it was not acceptable. It was not kosher yeah, to go. But when he explained to them what happened, and he said, when we saw that they've also been filled by the Holy Spirit and they've spoken in tongues, we said, no, who are we that we can interfere? This is what we know. That's what Peter and, and Peter saw. And when he went in the next chapter to report to the leaders in Jerusalem, when they heard it, they were like, oh, okay, come on, even is our. Right? And so there's that aspect of the heaven. For it says in verse 16 of Acts 11, for they, yeah, uh, yeah, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and then they said, 
we, we have no way to interfere if that is what has happened. And notice that there was no fire or sound this time, but there was the evidence of the speaking. They didn't ask, was there any tongues? We don't see those ones after the day of Pentecost. What we see left is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm aware there are various views on this. I'm aware there are various views on this. And I, I would like to say, in my looking at the scriptures, and I'm going to go briefly into some things that the scriptures talk about the speaking in tongues, you will see that you will be denying yourself quite a lot if you're not going to get that experience in that way. And listen to this and tell me why anyone would not want to have these benefits of this experience of the infilling of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Eh? It says this in First Corinthians uh, verse 14, chapter 14 and verse 2. For anyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to people, but to God. No one understands them, but they utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I think here Paul was just trying to make a reference between ministry to the church and the individual, but what I want to see is what he says about what the speaking in tongues does to you as an individual. Okay, that's what I want you to catch. He's not saying this one is, he's just saying in a public place in the church, this is what prophesying would help more, but on your personal space, then speaking in tongues does this to you. And so as you can see that when you speak in tongues, you have a direct communication with God. You know, it's your spirit praying. Your spirit is opened up and it's not limited to the thinking of your mind or to the context around. You're able to communicate directly from your spirit with no hindrance to God. It overcomes the limitations of your mind in terms of, hey, I'm praying this, but do I really believe this? Or is this going to happen? Or, you know, when we pray with our, with our mind, which we are asked to do anyway, we pray in our mind, pray in the spirit, you'll see that. Praying in our mind as an aspect of we have, we could put some limitations on ourselves, right? But in praying with the spirit, we're going directly communicating to God with no hindrance whatsoever. And so it overcomes those limitations of your mind. The second thing we can pick up from there is that it edifies and strengthens you. Speaking in tongues builds you up, strengthens you inside. You're in a man. We get replenished spiritually when we do that. Um, you know, in this context, so, so, so God has meant both for us, but when you do that, then as a person, you're getting strengthened internally. And so sometimes you'll find you do not know how to pray and that's the next point. But I want to say, as an individual, there are times where you just finished. There's a story of David in, in the Psalms. Oh, no. Okay. Where he goes, I think it was Ziklag, where they've gone out, they've come, and everyone is destroyed, and the people want to stone him. And it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. All right? I see that as a reference to what speaking in tongues does to you when you are down and we are old. There's a way that you strengthen yourself from inside just by 
getting to speak in tongues. And that's my experience as well. When you do that, there's times you don't know what to do. You just spend time praying in tongues and you, you don't know what you've said, but something inside happens that strengthens you. From that same verse, you can see that he enables you to pray for the unknown. Because you'll be praying mysteries to God. There are some things you might not know at all, but you're praying them. You might don't understand them, but he leads you to pray for things you do not know. You could actually be praying for someone in Somalia who is in a situation you don't know. You could be praying for circumstances in the region that are a priority and a concern for God. I don't know. I mean, there are instances where people have stopped up and spoken in tongues. There are various stories. That, you know, one can be somebody to a church and guys wondering, so in a land that he's not from Kansas, so language he understands is like, why is this guy announcing all things I've had in my life? <laughs> you know, does he know? But I mean, that. I mean, even of us, uh, you come to a service like this, and the just sends God tell him speak in tongues. Eh? So he starts a service and takes about ten or so minutes just praying in tongues. But then it happens to somebody within the congregation who has a daughter somewhere they're struggling with a situation, and he understands the language. And basically, a pastor tells them what God is going to do in various situations is all okay. So, whereas you may not know what you're praying about, it's mysteries. Holy Spirit helps you pray things that are pertinent to His work. Um, to the work that he's doing. And you communicate in mysteries. You do not understand them, depending on the language. The devil may not understand it. But when you talk about there are tongues that mean other languages, like the examples I've given, you could just have somebody speaking some, some foreign or some unique dialect somewhere, or Russian or something. Yeah? That's a tongue, that's a, a language. Or it could just be, you know, the tongues of angels where you don't know what you're saying. And in that situation, you do not, want to, you do not know what you're saying. The devil doesn't know what you're saying. People don't want to say, but you're speaking mysteries to God. And that's something that um, the Holy Spirit enables us to do to bypass our understanding. Now, I know tongues can be a stumbling block to some. Cindy, I think the concept we have of, you know, we need to be dignified. Okay, yeah? Overexcited up and guy like, what's this? And we could actually be limited in our capacity or desire to experience this thing because of our perception of what it is to speak in tongues. Really? And that has been a fear for many. It used to be a fear for me as well. Eh? So, you know, that excitement can, it can be offensive, it can be a dignified. You know, you're afraid of being too emotional or too excited. And, you know, even, by the way, the disciples on the day of Pentecost, they are drunk. It didn't seem very dignified. But here's the thing. Those guys, the disciples, did not know what they were saying, but the people heard what they were saying, and even though they said they were drunk, they are the same ones who came to turn around to the faith, 3,000 of them, at the speaking of Peter that same moment. Because it was a demonstration of God's power. Right? How can we, how, in fact, they asked themselves, they were amazed and perturbed. How can these guys who have never been out of here be talking languages from, I don't know, Syria, what, and that caused them to turn. And so, yes, you might be said to be drunk, but it still accomplishes God's purpose. And so you need to, uh, my prayer is that you need to ditem kutano kitu, mimi, I am open, it's Holy Spirit, he cannot do anything that's harmful to me. I shouldn't care too much about 
my reputation, which is a concern that I have. And like I said again, the enemy has caused us, has succeeded in bringing that fear, so we are not too open to, to that. Right? I know you've had weird things of people going around like a wheel because they've been filled by the Holy Spirit, you know. What's the craziest thing you've had? I mean, that's one I've had people just going around like a wheel. Anyone who's had something that has said, hey, come on, Neo. <laughs> yeah? Oh. Uncontrollable laughter. You've heard about uncontrollable laughter. That happens. Yeah? You've seen, you've seen uncontrollable laughter. Anything else? Amanile, eh, ilikuwa tu hivyo, mia checked out. Siku ngoja kujua nini naendelea. Okay, so that's the thing about the tongues. Let's be open to God using our members and our bodies. And it's really, you know, the tongue is what we cannot control. And when we release our tongue to the Holy Spirit, then he controls the tongue. You know what James says about the tongue? A small thing that's difficult to control. I think that's the, the connection there. And um, then we go to how to receive. How to receive. Okay, this is the last thing before we pray. And one of the things is to be thirsty. Number one is just be thirsty. It says in, 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 in um, John seven thirty seven that Jesus said, stood in a loud voice and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. Remember what I said last time, it's a glorified Christ who fills us with the Holy Spirit, baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. So that's something. So there's a sense of if I desire, and that desire, like I said, needs to overcome that whole issue of, eh, in tongues, mimi. Ah. So let the desire be, I'm thirsty, Lord, fill me.